Blog Talk Radio. of the revolutionary. 
what are the roles and responsibilities of the revolutionary. And, and one of the things that really just sparked this for me is during our last, you know, during that break that I have, the week that I have um, between bringing this program to you and other things that I have to do, when I have a free moment, I listen to uh, various blog talks. I reach out to other revolutionaries. I check Facebook. I, um, you know, check the YouTube and just to see what's out there, what's going on out there with my comrades, my contemporaries, to see how they're approaching the situation, some of the solutions they have to address the problems that we face as African people here in America. And I have to be honest. I have to be completely and totally honest, which may step on a lot of toes and offend some people, but I am thoroughly disappointed. I am thoroughly disappointed from just what I see. And, you know, of course, like I said, this is an opportunity for us to speak our opinions. So this is my opinion. This is Yanga's opinion, just coming from someone who has uh, ascribed to or subscribed to revolutionary theory, revolutionary ideology and philosophy, and in my lifestyle begin to implement revolutionary actions and behavior. And I'm so disappointed in what I see because I see a lot of the so-called revolutionaries succumbing to sensationalism and rhetoric. They're beginning to bite into the whole social media hype. I think they're beginning to bite into their own um, so-called fame or the status that they're giving themselves, and they're believing their own hype. And what it does, it just increases the sensationalism or the rhetoric that they're espousing. What do I mean by that? It makes them sound stupider. They sound stupid. It is like watching a comic book. You see these Negroes dressed in these uniforms. You know, some of them I see them with weapons. Some of them I don't, you know, may not have their weapon with them. That's not what I'm addressing now. I'm just addressing these Negroes you see in uniforms and the shit that they espouse, the things coming out of their mouth. Don't offer any practical solution. Don't, you know, offer any real solace. Or there's no sense of a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A sense of really trying to offer something that would help us get over this hump of oppression or the uh, um, the things that are targeted toward, you know, the system, the way the system implements things that are targeting the African in America, I don't hear any real practical solutions, any applicable solutions coming out of these so-called revolutionaries. I only see things that would just further stroke their egos or try to make them look bigger than life, not explaining the role or the responsibilities of the revolutionary. We begin to do what so many people have done to us since time immemorable, and that is to play on the sentiments and the emotions of an oppressed people. In this instance, we're talking about the African here in America. Things happen to us. There are no doubts. It's just something as simple as logging on to your Facebook. You will be bombarded of images of the brutality, uh, the exploitation, the injustices, the lying, the deceit, all of these, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these things you will see coming at us, and I mean, it's, you know, and being on Facebook, it's hard because it doesn't even give the mind or the emotions an opportunity to begin to digest it, to begin to be able to comprehend the images that you're being bombarded with when they're coming back to back to back to back. So naturally, you know, just imagine seeing something that has happened to 
um, someone of your people firsthand. That alone in itself, just an isolated incident, that alone in itself will cause us to begin to feel some type of way. It's only natural. You know, no matter how disconnected we like to pretend we are as a people, we are moved by some emotion when we see an injustice perpetrated against someone that looks just like us, a black man or a black woman, an African man or an African woman here in America. We're moved by some emotion, whether it's, you know, compassion, whether it's anger, you know, whatever. We feel it. And this can just happen from an isolated incident. So imagine being bombarded by several images and, um, you know, and hearing, you know, watching interviews and listening to these racists, these white supremacists, these haters of African life begin to espouse their racism and their hate speech and their hate rhetoric, and you have hundreds and hundreds of feeds of this coming to you, you're going to be doubly moved to emotion. You're going to be so moved to emotion that you, a lot of times, you won't even know what to do. This is how frustrated it can leave you. You know, I just find myself, you know, getting off to Facebook and taking a time. There will be days I won't even get back on it because I have to begin to condition myself to accept what I know what is inevitably in my Facebook from just the various friends and groups that I belong to. So I have to take that time. And what you have, though, is when you have some of us who – you know, have an addiction or a borderline addiction to constantly being, you know, on Facebook, to be in the know, to be updated. It's they're emotionally everywhere when it comes to the plight of African people here in America. They're emotionally everywhere. And you have and they're looking for answers. And in a lot of instances, these are sincere, well meaning brothers and sisters that want answers. And lo and behold, what do you have? is some pimp of black suffrage and misery coming along exploiting the emotions of an oppressed people, exploiting the emotions, putting things on Facebook, putting these images on Facebook that we love to see. I mean, I would love, you know, I love to see these brothers and sisters in their uniforms and, you know, look like they're championing black manhood and black womanhood and black life in the state of the African here in America, and they're willing to put it all on the line. It looks good as far as the image is concerned, but when you look behind it, there's no substance. There is no, it's like a cardboard prop. It's a cutout. It goes no further than, it extends no further than what? The Facebook. Black, and I call these people black pimps, of pain and suffrage, of misery. And these are one of the things that we have to be, you know, we have to be careful, we have to be mindful of. So what is the role and the responsibility of the revolutionary? The role and the responsibility of the revolutionary is to, one of the roles and responsibilities of the, of the revolutionary is to raise, we must begin to raise the bar. Let's talk about that for a moment, brothers and sisters. We must begin to raise the bar. We have to have a standard set that says, that speaks to the masses of people, even if those people don't subscribe to, at that particular time in their life, a revolutionary understanding or a revolutionary ideology or philosophy, they will still know the difference and have enough information to be able to distinguish between a revolutionary and someone that is counter-revolutionary or counterproductive. That's called raising the bar. 
And why is this important? Because the revolution has attracted some of the most assorted types. I mean, we get all types. And mental illness is real in our community. There's nothing to be scoffed at. There's nothing to be made fun of. We're not laughing at it. But we have a tendency to not put the emphasis on mental illness that we need to put the emphasis on so we think we can deal with it. And then we go to in order to have numbers. And I'm saying we because I'm speaking collectively. As, in one, as one who belongs to a revolutionary movement, I'm speaking collectively. We begin to draft and recruit these people without the proper political education, without proper party discipline, without the proper social skills to be able to interact and enact with people in their community to socialize. They don't have any of this training, and we stick them out there saying that they're representing our organization. Now, that would be fine if this was like the 60s and the 70s where people could make clear distinctions between the organizations. But us and those of us that are in progressive organizations, and particularly those of us that are in revolutionary organizations, must begin to, we have to understand, one of the things that is a must that we understand is that our organizations are reflective of the black power movement in general. It is reflective of the black power movement in general. When they see a panther or when they see black this or African that or united for this and brothers for that and sisters doing this, it is not just that organization that the masses of African people are looking at. It is the black movement. And the black movement must have an appeal. It must have an attractiveness to it and not just an attractiveness, you know, the attractiveness to the black movement is just to get people to look at the black power movement. We have to bring the black power movement from the fringes. It has to come away from being so leftist and so extreme, you know, that are, or in some instances so right-wing, so conservative and so reminiscent of Nazi Germany in the tactics that it has turned many Africans who want to be involved in the process of their own liberation, it has turned them away, and rightly so. Rightly so. When you look at some of the rhetoric that is being uh, spoken on Facebook and other social outlets, other media outlets, man, it's incredible. It is incredible. Like I said, you don't hear any solutions. You don't hear any um, real condolence for the loss of life the loss of property that African people face or, uh, you know, are suffer at the hands of their oppressor. And in this case, in America, we're talking about predominantly the white supremacist, the white man and the white woman, a system that has targeted us. You don't hear the condolences. You hear them fueling and stoking and egging on the emotions of anger and not really having the wherewithal nor the intelligence or the resources to back up that chitter-chatter that they're espousing, the things that they're saying. And like I said, by it not being, by people not looking at it individually, that is attached to the whole black power movement, and it creates a divide amongst us. And us as revolutionaries, maybe out of some mis, uh, misbegotten sense of solidarity, our brotherhood, or unity, we don't reach out and begin to correct the brothers or sisters who are making these uh, these statements, who are putting 
these images out there that are not beneficial. And I know that can be difficult to do. I know that can be difficult to do because a lot of us have turned our organizations into our own self-grandizing mechanisms. We weren't doing anything before the so-called, before our awareness of the so-called movement. We weren't getting any recognition before uh, our so-called coming into the movement. You know, we didn't have any status before our coming into the so-called movement. And when you get into the movement, you get a little renowned. You get a uniform. You get a few bars and stars to put on your lapel. You look real spiffy. Looks nice. But there is a process that must be had before going through that. And I'm saying, what are the roles and responsibilities of the revolution? This is one of them to raise the bar. And in order to raise the bar, we must have constructive criticism and not be afraid to address our brothers and sisters who we feel are doing a disservice to the movement. This is the only way to begin to weed out those that, whether willingly or unwillingly, consciously or subconsciously, have nefarious motives, have some unsavory motives, have motives that are not in the best interest of African people. The only way to weed them out is to begin to go to them sincerely and to offer constructive criticism in the spirit of love and camaraderie. And if they don't want to hear it and continue in their ways, then this is where the real revolutionaries must come up come together and come up with solutions to address and not just address, but handle these issues that we face as revolutionaries. Because the time we are living in some of the most volatile uh, climates that we've been in since the 60s and 70s. Listen to me when I tell you, brothers and sisters. This is some of the climate is hostile towards the African, and not just the African, other minorities, but we're talking about the African here in America, the black man and black woman here in America, so we'll stick with that, has become the most, one, the most hostile time since the 60s and 70s. Hate crime is on the rise. The membership to white nationalists and white supremacist movements are growing. Police brutality is up. And this mental illness, this sickness, this disease, that plagues the country under, and I would have to say under the current administration, this vibration, this energy that is emulating, emulating from the current administration is not just stuck with us, but also spilling into their schools. I think this is the most school shootings they've had within a year under this current administration. What is fostering this? And if us as African people don't begin to, if nothing should have awakened us, this should have, should have been at the very least at the very least, the beginning of an awakening period for the African revolutionary here in America. This should be the beginning of the waking period. So it's incumbent upon you and I to begin to foster the climate of solidarity by taking a stance against that which is counterproductive and that which is counterrevolutionary, manning up, warming up, speaking a word directly to the right and calling a spade a spade. There's no other way around that. We can't tiptoe through the tulips. We can't keep taking sidestepping and taking shortcuts. 
when we see one of our own under a name that has become especially, and I'm speaking now because this is straight out of sentiment, you know, especially those of us that attach Panther to our organizations, when we see those of us taking on names that are reflective of a resistance movement and has been the symbol and the image of resistance in uh, uh, the African struggle, then we definitely have a responsibility and an obligation to, um, to correct that which is incorrect. We have that responsibility and that obligation to correct that which is incorrect. And until we do that, it will still, it will constantly leave the door open for these people who, and I don't, you know, listen, I don't want to, it's not, I'm not trying to mislabel them because it's not me to judge their hearts. I can't look into their hearts and say, you know, this is what they, this is what it is. It's intentional. Um, they're, you know, like I, I, I hear that you have a lot of people love to throw that agent word around. So-and-so is an agent. You know, I, I'm not going to go be that extreme before talking to any people or doing due diligence and investigating a situation properly. But I will say that whether it's conscious or subconscious, it is counterproductive. It adds nothing to the production. It adds nothing to the advancement. It adds nothing to the evolving of African people here in America. And that is, this has to become, in my opinion, of course, but I strongly suggest, I mean, I stand behind this, this has to become one of our primary duties and responsibilities, and that is to begin to rectify, to correct what is incorrect within the movement, within the behavior, within the so-called revolutionary, uh, revolutionary philosophy and ideology of these people that are professing to adhere to that. Those of us that are in the know, we should begin to speak on it. It should be, revolution should be so much a part of our life that it should be sacred, almost like a religion. You wouldn't, it's like I said, we have to set the bar so high and the standards so high that they begin to understand they can differentiate between the revolutionary and someone just calling themselves revolutionary by their actions, by their speech, by their deeds, a lot of times by their dress, you know. And it should be that blatant that when someone isn't performing to the character and to the code of conduct or to the standards raised by true revolutionaries that the masses of people are able to identify them. And believe me, you, when it comes to the masses of our people, man, we can be with it. They will tell them, they will tell that particular person, you are not a revolutionary because this is not what a revolutionary does. We've seen it done before. Look at the religions. I use religion as an example. Me coming up a Muslim and being a Muslim, that people who are not Muslim know more about what we call it Islam, the ahkam, the laws and regulations of Islam than a lot of Muslims. Let a Muslim be somewhere eating pork. First thing somebody, I mean, you're a Muslim. Muslims don't do that. They're quick to tell you what Muslims don't because there have been people, predecessors, who came before and set such a standard and were so thorough and not just in their way of life but in giving what's called da'wah or calling or teaching of Islam that the masses of people, the non-Muslims, begin to know and they were um, they were aware, and they could be able to 
distinguish between those that were sincere Muslims and those that were making a mockery. The revolutionary must do the same thing. This is how sacred we must hold the revolution. We must do the same thing. We must set a standard so high. Now, behavior has to be at, to such that the people that haven't fully come to a revolutionary understanding yet are able to make the distinction between the two, between the revolutionary and the non-revolutionary. So to recap before I go to my phone lines is to say one of the primary roles of the revolutionary is to raise the standard and to rectify or to correct that which is incorrect. Going to a brother and sister out of love and a spirit of camaraderie, a spirit of that comradeship, that, you know, that, listen, I really want the best for you, doing in that manner. And that takes some humility and explaining to them why their actions are counterproductive, counterrevolutionary. We can't keep swishing it under the rug. Let's go to our phone lines. Area code. Two one six five three six three. Your mic is open. Assalamualaikum, Black Power. Waalaikumsalam, Black Power. So how the family doing? Oh, they good. They good. Everybody's good. Okay, it's been a while since I've been uh, on the program, and uh, the program sounds good, and it's doing good uh, because one is the uh, education. And I'd like to jump in real quick to say this, uh, because I'm a part of, of it uh, under Garvey, under Malcolm, under O'Malley, Yesitella. I can name quite a bit of brothers, uh, ancestors, uh, Queen Mother Mo that have been under. And it's a saying, if a farmer don't plant a seed, it guarantees he will not eat and that's saying that if we don't plant a seed, it's guaranteed we will not be free. So when we plant that seed, that seed develops because the fertilizer is a doodle and America is full of doodle. I don't want to use the other term. So if we sit back and allow the media interpret our movement, then they will dilute the fertilizer. But because we are farmers and revolutionaries, I hope you are following me, that if we do not go out and plant the seed, that seed will grow. But we can sit back and look at it. Many of the trees ain't going to grow overnight. Many of the flowers, the wheat ain't going to grow overnight, but we know that we planted it. God has planted it. And look what happened. Elijah mm-hmm. planted it. Look what happened. Malcolm mm-hmm. planted it. Look what happened. Hewitt Crematory mm-hmm. planted. So that is the uh, uh, first thing that I want to say. Then the other thing is that I want to say, when we organize our people, we have to look proper. Number one, ain't no brother and sister going to stand on the corner and watch somebody that more raggedly dirty, and stinky as they are. This is why the nation moved forward. This is why the UNIA with the African Community lead moved forward. This is why the Black Panther Party, I came through that, the weather, the leather jacket and the shiny shoes, the creased pants and the powder blue shirts and the berets because when the 
black people see you talking revolution and they see success in you, they're ready to follow you. That is simple as that. The other question uh, that we'll put, we in the process of building bridges, not walls. See, when we talk about United Front, we end up building walls. Well, I can't deal with that, brother. I can't deal with that. Since I can't deal with that organization. No, we're building bridges, Negro. We ain't building walls. Trump build walls. Then the other thing is revolution is a religion. What is religion? Religion is a way of life. The Catholics mm-hmm. have their religion, that's the way of life. The Muslims have their religion, that's the way of life. The atheists have their religion, that's the way of life. The pimps and the players on the street got their religion too, and you break it, you'll pay the penalty. Religion is not something that is dealing with, I'm going to sit down and go, amen. No, religion is what you wake up to and you give your life to, what you go to bed to, you give your life to, and you wake up in the morning again, you give your life to. This is why the street is organized. The gangsters on the street got some strong religion. And the Panthers, being a revolutionary, that is a religion. Simply meaning religion is a way of life. It's not about no church or mosque. It's about a way of life. That is religion. So I just want to put that in. And then and I appreciate that. Yeah. And then when we look at what, uh, how we are dealing with the Panthers, and I want everybody listening at this because this is upsetting me very much. Uh, Donald Trump got the uh, nerve to say the FBI sent informers in to infiltrate his political party in terms of uh, what he called uh, – set up destruction and, and bring about chaos, and they send informers in uh, dealing with the Russia issue. I want to say this, and then I'm going to leave the line open and leave facts. In 1968, there was 300, excuse me, 33,000 informers throughout the country to infiltrate the Black Panther Party. In 1971, there were 7,500 infiltrators. What came out of that infiltration? Yes, on a panther. Counterintelligence assassination. Mm-hmm. The drunk talk about they came in here, but uh, ain't nobody was assassinating them. In 1968, there were seven panthers assassinated. In 1969, there were 13 Panthers assassinated. In 1970, there were five Panthers assassinated. In 1971, the Black Liberation Army was born, said we're going to have to stop this and fight. Nine Black Liberation Army guerrilla fighters was killed and assassinated. So when mm-hmm. Trump come up, and this is why we have to, and the program so important, I was, we had a, a conference right now where we deal with that. When you talk about uh, investigating the FBI, we should be the one investigating the FBI. The FBI the one that set up Martin, that set up Malcolm, mm-hmm. that set up Garvey, and he mm-hmm. got to sit there and the Negroes walk around and him say the FBI needed to be investigated. Well, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's white privilege. You know, the white man, he always, and I appreciate that too, uh, Chairman Carr, too, because, you know, like I was saying, that's white privilege. 
you know, the white man walk around, he's always appalled. You know, he's he's that something that he puts out there should come back. How dare it come back to me? And I agree. And like Chairman Carl said, there's a couple of things I want to touch on that I totally agree with. And that's the image. When we talk about the roles and responsibilities of the revolutionary, we talk about the um, the image. You know, the first thing, like I said, was to recap on that, being real, manning up and wooming up, and offering constructive criticism, you know, um, to those people that may need it. If you And even if they don't think they need it, we have a responsibility to the masses of African people to present a concise, clear message of liberation, a message of self-determination, self-sufficiency for African people in America. That's the bottom line. We have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to the masses of African people, the people in whom which we belong, our race, race first. Like Chairman Carr said, you know, which I grew up the same way as Garveyite, race first, man, bottom line. So that is one of the responsibilities. The second one is, like he said, is to begin to, and I would go a little deeper in expounding on that. Like he said, having the whole clean look, but being becoming a revolutionary type. What is a revolutionary type? You can't be the revolutionary and still have the same nigga mentality. Now, nothing comes overnight. It's a process. Niggas wasn't made overnight. I always tell people the nigga is the creation of white America. The nigga is a special creation. The nigga was created by the effects, by the tragedies, the travesties, everything, the social, cultural, political, economic, climate, and conditions that Africans faced over here could begin to create a nigga, the concept, the mentality, the philosophy of niggerism. So to come out of that, we know it's not going to be an overnight um thing it's going to take work but to be aware the first step is an awareness that the revolutionary is a type you don't know how much it it amazes me how people can say they subscribe to revolutionary theory and revolutionary thought and they're revolutionaries and they're pro-black and revert back to some of the same nigga shit and not just revert back to it it's not about reverting back to it we'll go back you know habits are hard to break but revert back to it and be unapologetic about reverting back to niggerism in the dealing with your wife, with your children, with your neighbor, with black businesses, with white businesses, with any people. The revolutionary is a type, and we must evolve to begin to try to become this revolutionary type so that the masses of African people can see it. It goes again, and like we were saying, making that distinction between what a revolutionary is and what everybody else is. See, we're living in a climate now that, like Chairman Kahar was given the statistics of when our freedom fighters and our revolutionaries were killed and imprisoned and some still being hunted like animals, that it left a void in revolutionary, excuse me, in, in the whole, not the black movement, but the revolutionary aspect of the black movement. I don't know if y'all caught me on that. Not the whole black movement, but the revolutionary aspect of the black movement. So what do I mean? They don't mind if you have cultural nationalism. Nigga, you can dress up like you from Wakanda all day long. You can change your name to Prince Chikala, T'Challa. I forget Black Panther's name. You can be from Wakanda. You can spend the money. You can do all of that. You can wear the dashiki, which are cool. A recognition of your homeland and your place of origin is always a good step. 
but it is not the only step. It is not the finality. It is not we haven't arrived because we got dashikis or bobas or um, some nice African headdresses or nice African jewelry to wear. We haven't arrived. They don't mind that. They don't mind if you change your name. They don't mind if you open a few black businesses that cater to an African clientele as long as you still adhere to and practice the concept of capitalism, that you're still feeding a capitalist machine. So they don't mind that. Now, it's a different if you as a black co-opt and black, you know, you go in and y'all communally owning some stuff. You buying people from the neighborhood and y'all gathering y'all pennies like we, a prime example was that was the Honorable Marcus Society Garvey who had people to buy into shares of the Black Star Line. They send Negroes to sabotage and destroy that, like they always do, but that's a whole other story. Now, they have a problem then when you talk about a co-op, when you talk about communal ownership. That's a problem. But as long as it's this single black businessman and he's subscribing, or black businesswoman, adhering to and subscribing to the tenements of capitalism, and they're, you know, um, not really giving back to the community. Yeah, they got a store in the community. It says buy black, but at the end of the day, they're not funding any programs. It's not going back in to build up the community. They pack up their dollars like they pack up their families, put them in the car, and ride off to a integrated neighborhood or a multiculturalist neighborhood. You know, so, and I'm not even, and then here again, that's a whole nother uh, thing we had on a conversation we had on that that we have to revisit because people may get upset with Yang about this. I'm not mad at him a lot of times for doing that. I'm not. I listen. I empathize with them. I hope I never get to the point where I sympathize. Sympathize is having a shared experience, but empathy is like knowing about it and like, damn, it's feeling some kind of way about it. Not actually knowing the feeling of it. So I don't know how it is to have money to that degree where I have to move out of the neighborhood. But I can't imagine being becoming a black man, an African who loves my people, and coming on some wealth and then have to fear my people, kidnappings, robbery, breaking and enterings into my home, because I want to live in the hood. And then if I live in the hood, I got to live in a fortress, put gates up and cameras. And this and that. then they still calling me bougie or an elitist. So, I, you know, my heart goes out to those brothers and sisters who do want to participate in the revolution, but are frightened, let's be honest, we, we family here talking, right, are frightened of their own people. And some of their being frightened isn't imaginary. I would love to say, oh, nigga, you just scared. I'll be like, that's in your mind. You're making it up. But it isn't imaginary. These are real things that could possibly happen and have the potential of really um, happening to them. So the revolutionary must become a type, and in that becoming that type and soliciting those businesses and wanting those businesses to support they're getting them what the revolution must the revolutionary do. The revolutionary must stand up because we know the role is then the revolutionary must stand up and take responsibility for the community. It must stand up and take responsibility for there not being uh businesses in the community or it not being an environment that is conducive for entrepreneurship of black it's not inviting for Africans to come in there and open up businesses because we don't want to do the work. We don't want to do the hands-on. We don't want to get out there and socialize. One of the things I can say about, you know, 
Chairman Kahar, when we talk about roles and responsibilities of the revolution. And believe me, press one, we'll recognize you, we'll open your mic, you can get into this conversation. But one of the things that I recognize from Chairman Kahar, and just being with Chairman Kahar when I do go to Cleveland, when you talk about roles and responsibilities of the revolutionary, a role that he does, he takes a panther straw. Every morning he strolls through the neighborhood, gets his paper. It becomes almost like, you know, when I'm there in Cleveland, if he's late for that stroll or doesn't make that stroll and I'm walking down the street, the people will ask me, yo, man, everything good? We ain't see Panther, man. How's your father? What's Panther? We ain't see him strolling today. He run a little behind. You know, he had a little late on his coffee. He'll be, he'll, he'll be strolling through in a minute. So it almost becomes like a part of the community. We have to begin to become a part of the community in which we belong. In which we belong. That is the role of the revolutionary. We think that the revolutionary is constant because we have romanticized revolution so much, and we have allowed images, romantic images of the revolution to be pushed to us, bombarded by it through Facebook. We started out with the pictures of Che Guevara and the, and, and the picture, the most be, uh, beautiful picture of our dear brother uh, uh, El Haj Malik Shabazz, more, more commonly known as Brother Malcolm, looking out the window with his gun. We see the pictures of Brother Huey sitting in the wicker chair, or him and Chairman Bobby Seals, um, with the bandolera and the pistols. So we romanticize that aspect of the revolution when the community work, the political work, the social work, the cultural work, the educational work of being a revolutionary is never fully pushed, is never propagated. So now you get these Negroes who think they can fight. Yeah, I said it. Have you Negroes think y'all can fight? Who think they can fight? Jumping out here in their anger, and they may be sincere. I'm not saying that all of them doing that are doing it to mislead our people. They may be sincere, but they have become victims of a romantic revolutionary concept. And they have fallen prey to these so-called what I call pimps of black suffrage and misery who have stoked the flames of anger and discontentment who have soaked the flames of a people who want to change, and this is what they have presented them and the images they have presented them, and they think that that's revolution, and they sign up, pay their little $20, $30, $40, $50, whatever they pay, get their patch, go buy a rifle, and put on a beret, and now they're on every Facebook picture. Now, that would be fine in an age where if – we were in an age where revolutionaries had stood up if we had went like our predecessors before and allowed the masses to know the distinction between the revolutionary and that person who is a provocateur or just counter-revolutionary, counterproductive, someone in layman's terms, somebody that don't mean you no earthly damn good, that is just fronting. That would be good if the masses didn't know that, but these people are masquerading as revolutionaries, and they are confusing the masses of African people, leaving them very little to no choice in what way they're going to participate. And you want to know why these so-called reformist movements, why these um, large, I call them milk dud, watered-down movements, these Black Lives Matter, yeah, I said in these New Era Atlantas and New Era Chicagos and things like that, get a lot of following and a lot of people because the people are scared of revolutionary rhetoric they're terrified 
You have terrified the people, and then in terrifying the people, you begin to ostracize and ridicule the masses of people because they have some apprehension or maybe even some real fears. You begin to tell them, you scared to do this? Are you scared to do that? You scared? And you Negroes ain't bust a grape in Welch's backyard. And have the audacity to begin to try to ridicule the masses of people who are looking into revolution. Nobody wants to sign up for revolution to die. That's not appealing. Nobody wants to do you. I'd give you that application back, too. You got to be ready to die. Man, wait a minute. You have to you have, you have the brother and sister got to know what they died for. What am I dying for? What am I fighting for? I'm sick of my conditions. I'm ready to make a change. You mean I'm going to go out and die? I got children. I got, but once they're educated, once they're taught, once they begin to understand, then they begin to understand that life is a small sacrifice to pay for your freedom. But first they have to understand the concept of freedom, the concept of self-determination, the concept of being self, self-sufficient, the concept of brotherhood, the concept of sincere love. They must begin to know these things and feel these things before they can take the next step or they're ready to go to the next phase. So the step of revolution, which is a process and not an event, the going to revolution, getting to revolution, the role and responsibility of the revolutionary is like what Chairman Carr was talking about, planting that seed. But what is that seed? That seed is the seed of resistance. That is a seed of resistance. The revolution begins by awakening the already innate emotion, the innate uh, feeling, the innate yearning and calling for an action, a resistance, an action of fighting off what's coming at them. Their very nature tells them that something is not right. This is not right. How I'm living is not right. It doesn't feel right. I can't pinpoint it. I can't put my finger on it. I just know that something is not quite right. I know that something is not quite right. So then the revolutionary, when he sees these embers, when he sees that burning coal in his people, then that's when the, politica- the, politi- the politicalization process kicks in. But many of us can't kick in the politicalization process because we're not politicized ourselves. Oh, there go Brother Yanger talking that political stuff again. Brother always talking about politics. Brother always talking about that politics. And we'll sit there and say that about me and then turn around in the next breath and quote Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton Sr., who said everything is politics and politics is everything. Everything is politics, baby, everything. Ain't nothing in the world ain't politics, nothing. When you met your wife, was dating your wife, you was politicking. To make some moves, you wanted to see some, you liked the sister, you enjoyed the first date, you wanted another date, you politicked that thing right to get another date. You wanted this car, you wanted whatever. We begin to enter into, uh, uh, we, we, we begin the political process. I see you, Chairman Carr. I'm going to come right back to you. We begin the political process. So we have to understand that then what are the politics of revolutionary? They must be broken down. What are the politics and the politics of revolutionary for the African here in America as understood by the people's black parents? Part of self-determination is just that, self-determination. Self-determination. The revolutionary is a humanitarian. The revolutionary is a humanitarian. And when I say this, I don't want those uh, 
people running back and you got these multiculturalists and these other people, these kumbaya holding hand people that say want to come out. See, he said human and we're all part of the human. Okay, so you deal with your humans that, that you belong to, that ethnicity of the human species that you belong to, you deal with that. That's not my concern. That's not what I'm saying. When I say humanist, I'm talking about because we're talking about revolutionary politics, which must be understood on an international revolutionary level because revolutionary isn't exclusive to the African man here in, in America or the African woman here in America. It's not solely our thing. Revolution is an instrument, is a tool, is a philosophy, is an inspirator, is a motivator of oppressed people throughout the globe. It is a global reaction. It is nature righting a wrong. It is justice correcting the injustice. This is what revolution is. So the revolution has its own language, and we speak the international language of revolution, and I would tell them me as being a black nationalist revolutionary, an African revolutionary, an African internationalist, you know, say universal African nationalist, which includes the pan-Africanism. Wherever you find African people being oppressed, I want them to have the right to self-determination, self-sufficiency, to be able to choose their own decisions in life and to make their own way. And we say that, so this is why we say that we're humanitarians. Because what is a humanitarian? The humanitarian is one that believes the highest aspiration of the human being is to be able to reach their fullest potential, to reach the fullest potential, to be able to reach the fullest potential without the intentional, the deliberate, the on-purpose hindrance, obstruction, blocking of those people to, to reach that potential. And this is what you have happening to the African here in America. You have outside forces that are intentionally hindering the natural development of Africans towards self-determination. So once we understood that, once that's clear, that's our big goal, that's the end game, how do we begin to take steps to materialize this, to bring it into fruition? We have to stop these so-called revolutionaries from selling these fantastic dreams, these schemes, these grand schemes that won't be achieved or recognized in our lifetime or any lifetime after us without taking the proper steps to prepare us for that. And it begins with resistance, beginning to point out those things that are detrimental in the African community and within the African themselves here in America to begin to build that resistance, not to just to be a resistance from outside forces and, and those things imposed on us as African people, but to build the resistance within yourself to control and to reject those things that we voluntarily use to destroy us. We must begin to address them, and a lot of that is going to take some real it's real to confront that. You're listening to the People's Black Panther Party. I'm your host, National Chairman, Yang and Krumah. People's Blog Talk Independence Black Radio. It's your opportunity to share your opinions, critiques, criticisms. Some some may not agree with me. Listen, that's fine. That's what we're here for, brothers and sisters, is to build. Let's go back to our phone lines. Let's open Chairman Carr up again. Chairman, your mic is open. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, one is... <clears throat> The question and the issues that were brought up is clear. We have to understand this. In order for us, and it's real, because I had comrades, and I just ran off a list of those who that was murdered mm-hmm. uh, year by year and those who have been put in prison. 
One is that in order for you to become a revolutionary, and we're saying that religion is a way of life, so is revolution is a way of life. In order for you to do that, many brothers and sisters who are in the religious community, they say you got to be baptized. you got to take a shahada. As well as a revolutionary, you got to be revolutionized yourself. Mm-hmm. That means regardless if you got disagreement with organization, you got disagreement with this, you go with the people that is right and you organize the people. Why? Because you've been revolutionized. Mm-hmm. You have not you have not been so called hypnotized by the ego and the tripping uh the media. The other mm-hmm. thing is and I like this, self determination is natural. Every creation and that have been created by the creator, even the birds and the chicken have nationalism. Mm-hmm. They move forward and they fight to maintain their extension. Uh and we walk around and become black skin and white minds. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what happened is that this is why that they move against the uh, black liberation movement because they still want to maintain slavery. And see, when we look at slavery, a lot of brothers just don't understand slavery. Slavery ain't just a plantation with chains and uh, you walk around with a whip. Slavery is when that you obey the so-called ownership, the master who owns you. You do his deeds. You become the buffer's own Negro. You come in organization. You break down organization. You inform on the organization. You keep the master aware of what's what's going on. Right mm-hmm. now, and I'm gonna leave the line open. Right now, what we're dealing with now is, and indeed, we're dealing with some scientific warfare now because back in the 60s, in the 50s, we didn't have faith, we didn't have all this media. So now we're snitching on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we showing them, oh, look what I got in my house. You know, uh, look what I'm carrying. This Caucasian will never tell you what he got in his house. This is what he had a problem with. They going to the schools, uh, killing each other. Oh, man, we didn't know he was like that. Yeah, just imagine uh, they coming into the community. So our thing is organization, and organization means perfect organs working together, and we're moving forward. Retarded, mm-hmm. when our organization become tardy, uh, we walking, our arms going this way, our legs going this way, our head shaking this way, and that's just what he wants. He don't want a unified organ. He don't want a unified body. And this is what he called organization. And he used the term, oh, who is the head? Mm-hmm. He used the term, uh, mm-hmm. who is the heart of the organization? Mm-hmm. What is the muscle? Yeah. Yeah, so where he, they muscle coming from? Yeah, man, he used his scientific term. Uh, uh, 
uh, is it organized? Is it walking mm-hmm. straight? Mm-hmm. But if it's crowded, he ain't worried about that because uh, one trying to go this way and the other trying to go this way, they're walking retarded. He afraid of organization, and that's why his main thing is, and I want brothers to hear this because white supremacy is doing it. We we live in a real time. I'm saying a lot of people slept under Hitler and Mussolini and all the other dictators and uh, Mobutu and all of them. They mm-hmm. went to sleep. Their job is to stop the unification of the masses of people, and especially Jagger Hoover said, stop the unification and alliance of the black nationalist movement. Because he knew that was disruption. And years and years later, here comes Donald Trump, who had organized and moving a successful right-wing movement to the point where he would move Jerusalem uh, 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 United States Capitol there To the point where he even said I'm going to set up borders Why? We sitting And I'm saying When they come for you It's the old saying They come for you today They're going to come for me tonight And if they That's miss right. me tonight They're going to come for me tomorrow And I'm saying that When he declare all these Brothers and sisters here in America mm-hmm. As descendants of Africans and they do not deserve to be here, they're going to look around and say, we've been told, you always prepare for the winter before the snow comes. That's right. Because the snow can come and the ice, and I'll tell you, it's going to be white. That's right. It's going to be a whiteout. That's sure right. I appreciate that, Chairman Carr, definitely. And And that's the truth. You know, and like he's saying, you know, the thing, the thing we have to go about is organizing. You know, I, I think one of our biggest problems, though, one of our biggest hindrance to organizing today is organizing on what? You know, one of the things that I see affecting us um, in this colonialist mind state, in this, like you, what you say, black faces in white places or the black man with a white mind, that's what we call a colonialist or a neo-colonialist mind state. One of the things of having this uh, colonialist mind state is this sense of supremacy. You know, and this sense of supremacy, us feeling superior, not even towards people, but towards one another. We get some information, man. You get a brother or sister to get some books, which is good. You know, I encourage education. But they begin to feel like that the whole world is contained in them three books that they didn't read and that the revolution should be fought that way. That's the way that we should go about it. This is how we should handle it. And like I'm constantly telling people, African people are not linear. We're not one, two, three, four, five. We're one, two, three, four, five, six in a cipher, 360 degrees. So the one, the beginning of that circle, there is no beginning of that circle because it's continuous. It's 360 degrees, but it's continuous. You know, so it's no saying we should start here, we should start there. We have to get past the egos, get past being arrogant, sit and listen to every sound idea and see how we can aid and support our brothers and sisters who have specialties who specialize in specific areas, as long as it's, di- as long as it's directed to our highest um, ambition and aspiration, which is self-determination, then we should really contemplate the solutions put forward and begin to see how we can pull our resources, which we're, which we're doing at the NBLF. We're cool to my NBLF fans, if, if, if any are on the line. Let me look. 
I'm going to have to look. See, I know I probably got a few on the line with Kusu, man. Wake up, clean up, stand up, do I think. But, um, you know, it's being able to um, recognize his or her specialty in that field and pooling our resources to be able to let them take the lead in that particular area and address that. And we have to address them simultaneously. There's not we, – we don't have the luxury of waiting till we address police brutality, then we address um, economic exploitation and poverty, impoverished neighborhoods, or gentrification. We don't have the luxury of saying, okay, let's first address the health, and then we can address the education. No. If we have people working in these areas, man, listen, we should support them and send them out in their perspective or respective fields of study and let them address those issues best they can and let us get behind them 1,000% and allow them to take the lead in that endeavor. This is where the organization is going to come in. Constantly putting out, we're talking about the roles and responsibilities of the revolution on the People's Black Panther Park self-determination blog talk. Um, but that's my thing. I think that the, the role, one of the roles of the revolutionary is, is to be able to, the revolutionary is a social scientist, to be able to see the conditions in that society, to feel the frustration of the people because we should be one with the people. We should be one with the masses. So we should be able to not empathize but sympathize with the masses of people because we're African people facing the same oppression, exploitation, suppression, and every other type of uh, crime perpetrated against humanity and specifically African people here in America. I can identify with that. I may not have had my child murdered by the police, thank God. You know what I'm saying? But I sympathize. I can identify with that parent who has lost that child, who has lost because we're all one. So how do we – so the, we should keep a main goal in mind, and that main goal being self-determination, being that simple. I don't want to be the grand poobah of self-determination. I'm just a soldier in the cause, calling for every other soldier in the cause to get involved taking a step down from the so-called pedestals that we built up to ourselves, monuments of self-grandizement, patting ourselves on the back or surrounding ourselves with people who will kiss our ass to make us feel good and we're not really getting the work done. And, in fact, what we're doing a lot of times in the sensationalism and the rhetoric that we're espousing is offering more confusion, adding more divisiveness. When we attack one another for uh, trivial things, man, that's what gets me. We attack one another for the most trivial shit, excuse my language, because I try to keep, I know we may have children listening, but we attack one another for the most mundane things and disagreements, colonialist mindset that sets up this thing of um, supremacy in our heads. Let's go back to our phone lines, because I don't want to. Get to talk in just a moment. Area code, I think this is my brother here. Area code 505-9899. Brother Kevin, is this you? Yes, sir. My brother, yes, how sir, are man. you, brother? How, I'm well, brother. How about you? Man, right now I'm actually uh, helping one of my brothers get some stuff into his freshly started black-owned business. So right on, I told him I had right to take on. a breather. Uh, Congratulations, <laughs> take a breather so I can me, call man. it. Oh, definitely, I will, you know, definitely. Um, I, I've been listening, and I love everything that I've been hearing. It, it is is right on point. I wanted to touch on something that uh, our esteemed brother had said earlier about the COINTEL program, because mm -hmm. I did see that on the news where Donald Trump wants to investigate the FBI for investigating mm -hmm. him. And I'm thinking, I said, wow, isn't it funny how, 
you know, to push his right wing agenda, he he, you know, it's almost like how dare you get in the way of this? Yep. Yet we've never heard anyone come out and talk about how COINTELPRO set up those hits on all of our what what, what I feel were were uh, vital resources for us, Fred Hampton Senior, mm-hmm. and all of them. I mean, and they and they, and what I did I, I did find one thing that I did love though. When the FBI was going after Malcolm X, they couldn't find nothing on him. <laughs> I loved it. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find nothing on him. So that goes back to what you were saying about how we carry ourselves and being honorable, not only with each other, but in how we deal with ourselves, how we do what we do. You know, um, you know. while I do appreciate what Martin Luther King did, they found some dirt on him, and they tried right to on. use it on him. You know, mm-hmm. they found it because he allowed that. You know, he slipped. And allowed himself mm. to be tempted or whatever, but I had to appreciate that Malcolm, in spite of where he came from, and, and his history, mm. when he did make the change, he really made the change, and that's yeah. where I think a lot of our people get caught up because they don't want to change. They like they, they even if they don't like what's going on, they like that it's not affecting them in their mind right then. Mm-hmm. And then when it does affect them, they come back to uh, what I like, I guess the ones they like to refer to us as conspiracy theorists. The country ain't that bad. It's better than it used to be. It could be worse. I don't want to hear none of that. Yeah, that's, right. not, that that's doesn't right. benefit us, <laughs> okay? Right. We should be allowed to self-determine, just like the white man decided manifest destiny as he claimed a land that was already occupied. I feel like we we may have to pull the same card. <laughs> we may have mm-hmm. to pull that same card because mm-hmm. if manifest destiny worked for you, why wouldn't it work for us? <laughs> why do we have to be a part of your system? Why do we have to integrate into your system? It used to bother me when you know all of these brothers would uh. I know people like to talk about the Jefferson that song, moving on up. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. why you do you hate your own people that much that you try? You would rather risk having your house burned down, living in a white neighborhood, than feeling having some security being around your own people. Mm-hmm. You want to be the first black person to do this? And the first, no, 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 no. We should all be the first black people to just unify, self-determine, self-govern, self-police. And and deal with our own issues. We don't. I don't like this system the way it is. And yep. those that do, I have to give them that crooked eye. You know, if you're comfortable in this, uh, yeah, I got into a situation with a million dollar slave a few days ago, and I had you know, and, and he's talking to me like you know I'm beneath him, and and I'm look, I'm like, what? I said, whoa, bro. While you was trying to stop touchdowns, I was out here putting in work. Okay, right on, right on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right on. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not taking nothing away from your achievement, but uh, that don't move us nowhere. What have you done? Mm-hmm. What have you done for us lately? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, but but I did want to touch on question. that, and I yield the mic to that, brother. And I appreciate you, man. Man, no problem, brother. No problem. And that's about you know, brother. And that's and that that is a valid question. You know, um, but one of the things that we look at, and like I was talking about earlier, man, the revolutionary must become a social scientist. So we look at the things that affected the 60s and the 70s. One of the things that I've come out with that I've seen the most uh, was the overt racism and discrimination. I mean, it was overt. 
to the point of we were just really leaving out of segregation, and just because they passed a law that said you could segregate, the still the sentiment, which, which is the sentiment is still here, but that law's in effect so long that they know they can't be as blatant as they were. Now they're getting a little more blatant with the current administration, but you know they couldn't be as blatant as they were in the sixties and seventies. It was blatant racism and discrimination, blatant, and. When we begin to, um, you know, after they fought or so-called put up a fight against integration, the whole civil rights movement and stuff, um, you know, two things happen. One, we have to understand that our enemy is crafty. The oppressor is crafty because he's not fighting. And, you know, we get it. See, we're on the bottom. We're oppressed. So we put our emotions on everybody else. We think the world, we think our enemy thinks like we think. We're on the press. We're, we're on the bottom. We're oppressed. So we hate what's happening to us. We absolutely despise it. We hate it. We hate what's happening. We hate the people perpetrating it against us. We're, we, we hate. So a lot of us are moved by hate, where a lot of these Europeans um, don't necessarily naturally hate you. They might not necessarily naturally hate you. Some of them may not hate you. But nevertheless, they are white. So it is a matter of survival. They have a vested interest in the current system. It ensures white privilege and white entitlement, even if they don't subscribe to white supremacy. I'm not going to sit and say that every white person I've run across has subscribed to white supremacy. Long Yang, I'm not a white supremacist. You know, no, man, no, no. Some of my best friends are black, you know, that, that whole thing. So, no, I won't say that they subscribe to white supremacy, but I will say that you benefit and not only do you benefit, but you think and behave as one who has entitlement and privilege. It's just you can't help it. The environment, the system, the country, it's in the fabric of America. White means one thing. Black means something totally different in America. There's no way around it. I'm not going to hold your hand, pat a cake with your ass, or none of that, Bob. It is what it is. So we have to understand that they're not just fighting. Some of them are fighting because they absolutely hate us, but not all of them. They're fighting to ensure their continuation and the continuation of a lifestyle that they've become accustomed to. So with that, then they know that their modes must begin to change. They understand that their tactics must be must become uh, their tactics must become more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? more uh, subversive. It has to be more underground. You know, Malcolm gave me, it was an ultimatum to be made. Accept the civil rights movement and integration, or we're going for total and complete separation and bringing charges of human rights violations against the United States of America. Listen, faced with that, naturally, they were, they were going to go with the civil rights integration. Because there's a bonus to it, too. It brings Negro pennies. We can get the Negroes to spend with us. So the overt racism and discrimination no longer was the main weapon they used. What became the main weapon? Consumerism. Capitalist consumerism. They flooded us as black people with everything that our desires could want. We wanted color TVs. We wanted this one. And they continue to flood us with everything that our desires uh, or that we think that we want. Therefore, giving the illusion of freedom. So when you go to talking to telling black people you're not free, they say, what? I got everything I need and I got everything I want. What do you mean I'm not free? The revolution, the revolutionary must begin that not only is his revolution 
a political, educational, uh, and economic revolution, but it is a social, cultural revolution. And in order to create this cultural awareness, to order to create this socializing again, we must create a system, like America has a system. And a system is simply a method in, in which um, things are done. That's your system. It's a method in which things get done. They get handled. I got a system to this. So we have to have a system. Now, what upholds systems? Institutions. What upholds the American system are their institutions, their schools, their hospitals, their police, their fire departments, their businesses, all of these, their economic institutions, all of these hold up this white supremacist system or this white male supremacist system that we call the American way of life. We need to begin to develop institutions to stimulate and create systems that our youth will, um, we need to readdress and redirect what our young people are calling normalcy, what is normal. We become desensitized. We become disattached to the murders, not only the murders at the hands of outside forces, but the murders at the hands of these Negroes who either don't know no better or just don't plain give a damn. Whatever the case, we become detached from that. So much so that I was saying on one program, I believe it was Brother Kevin's program, we were talking on where I was talking about that we become voyeur, that we will see atrocities happening right before our eyes, and the first thing that we do before we step in and intervene, before we even shout, if we're too fearful to step in and to physically intervene, at least sending a shout, hey, stop, yo, man, come on, hey, leave the sister alone, don't do that. Before we even do that, we will put our phones out, and the only thing that we will shout is a commercial, an endorsement. World Star, World Star is not paying any of you Negroes for that, for that endorsement, for that shout out. For that plug But you'll find that this is how Everything has become so cinematic So cinematic So movie like That even we begin to feed into that And get caught up into it And uh, contribute So the role of the revolutionary We have to go back to like what Chairman Khan Is always saying Not even the grassroots But the dirt root movement We have to go back to the mud And it's simple It doesn't take Here's my problem with Romanticizing the revolution Is because we're looking for These uh, magnificent conclusions You know To the end of all our oppression Like overnight We want some magical shit We think that if we get in there And shoot out with a couple pigs or something I don't know I, I have no idea what the insanity is Or what's in some of these so-called revolutionaries' minds When they're saying and posting these things I'm wondering what they expect to accomplish, what they hope to achieve by the sensationalism and the rhetoric, by the, by the nothing that's being propagated out there. But instead of going back and doing the work that it takes, and that's back to community involvement, being that example, being that, uh, like I said, that prototype, being that revolutionary type, showing them the being a glimpse of what the future has to hold And starting small programs It doesn't have to be anything major 
It could be a small something that I'm always advocating and encouraging because it's done in Jersey where they have the Liberating Young Minds, the LYM program. It's just getting a few children, if it's nothing on the weekend, and giving, something, giving them something to counter what they're learning in the public school systems and feeding them a nutritious meal. Something that simple. And we would be surprised how our children will begin to digest this and it will start to mold and cultivate them and mold not just their behavior but their thinking. And thinking is before behavior. So it would begin to cold and motivate their thinking. And prayerfully they'll begin to act accordingly. But it takes real work. It takes real work. And it takes works, work on all fronts. The role of the revolutionary saying, wearing this title of revolutionary, is not just a badge of honor. It is a burden. It's a, it's a weight on your shoulders, on his or her shoulder. It is a pledge. It is an oath. It is commitment. It is responsibility. It is obligation. It's all those things that we find us as African people running from. This is what the role of the revolutionary, this is what the role of the revolutionary is. It's it's very simplistic in its everyday actions. In his or her everyday actions, it's simplistic. There are no big awards that come with it. There are no trophies that come with it. It's groundwork. It's time-consuming, economically taxing. It's all of those things that we're finding that us as African people are trying to escape from, yet we want to take on uh, that bat. We want to take on that mantle. We want to take on that banner. And we're not being realistic. And those of us that are revolutionaries, I think that we do it a great disservice. One of the things that I have pledged myself to do, that I said that I must begin to do, is begin to address my contemporaries, my counterparts, my uh, comrades, whether they like it or not. And I think that it's an obligation to at least try to pull their coats. And if the rhetoric gets too out of hand, if it gets too sensational, then to at least put something out to counter that. We're living in real times. What you see happening before us is not, though we watch it on television, it's not a movie. It is happening to each and every one of us. It is happening to each and every one of us. And we sit back at something Chairman Kahar said that I hope the listeners caught when he said that today they come for my neighbor, tonight they come for me. And this is what we see happening. So we don't get involved in anything. You will find a revolutionary telling you that they don't get involved in the political process. They have complete and total apathy to the political process. Now, am I saying go out here and vote for the president? I'm not even talking about on national elections, but I am talking about being aware. This is, I'm going to tell you, here's what gets me, though, that to say that, you know, especially those of us that are adhering to some panther formation and to hear that type of rhetoric, what we don't get involved with is totally against the 10-point platform and program and the nine local objectives. So we live in these communities that we're at the whims and the desires of some of the most uh, criminal minds 
and criminal, criminally motivated individuals, and we don't do anything like it doesn't affect us, but we pay light bills, we pay gas bills, we pay taxes, we live in deplorable conditions, the police, the relationship between the police and the community aren't the best, and we don't even go to a community meeting. This is what I'm talking about. We'd rather be wherever the cameras are going to be, wherever our friends are that can take these snaps, and we stand out here with the guns and the this and that, and we raise a black fist, and we got placards and billboards, but we won't go to a community meeting. We won't talk to the people that run the businesses. I like what Brother Kevin was saying. He's with the brother putting things into the black-owned business. We won't begin to reach out to black businessmen and businesswomen. We are so miseducated on our understanding of revolutionary politics that we erroneously, that we falsely or mistakenly begin to accuse our black business owners of of being the bourgeois, of being enemies to the people, when it's only the desire to better their condition that has motivated them to um, strive harder and to open these businesses. Now, if someone with some sense and a sound plan and probably wasn't half out of their goddamn mind came to them and presented a proposal, showed them a proposal and some programs that were real, you might even have to have invested in it yourself for a moment or two, then I'm sure we could find the funding to begin to create or to sustain the programs and and have them in our communities that they will be influential. And we begin to see a change. But one of the things we have to learn, not only has consumerism killed us, I call this also the era of instant gratification. I call this the microwave era. Everybody wants something overnight like the microwave, putting something in the microwave and putting it on three. I can't even remember the last time I've eaten anything out of the microwave. I refuse to. That was taken from me a long time ago. It's cultivated out of that. But... Putting in the mic, we want, we expect the same type of uh, immediate results, like some microwave popcorn. Not understanding the effort that it's going to take, and the consistency that we have to stay at it and stay at it again. I think Chairman Carr wanted to say something. Let's open this mic again. Chairman Carr, was your mic? Was you trying to say something, brother? Yeah, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, uh, it's um, something that I just want to add uh, in terms of uh, to kind of expand uh, our concept and thought of our liberation movement. This is why it's so important that you address that this is not a Address performance in terms of we showing weapons and we are talking and doing what we're doing. When we say counterintelligent program, and I ran off the killing of the Panthers, and once again in 1968, they murdered seven of us. In 1969, they murdered 13 of us. These are my comrades. In 1970, they murdered five of us. These are my mm. comrades. And when we decided to take up arms, 
and go underground to murder nine of us. And uh, Sister Sakata, uh, uh, Asada Sakata Shakur, yeah. And uh, uh, under Castro, when he was alive, and now his his brother and everybody say no, they put a million dollar bounty on her. Now the million dollars, that's a lot of money, but they couldn't even go to Cuba to touch her. Mm-hmm. Man, boy. They put up hundred dollar bounty on us in America, boy. That nigga will be in jail right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, because we don't have no sanctuary. We ain't organizing. And I just want to say this with the comrades because I, I definitely deal with Panther Education County Intelligence Program. Just don't consist of the FBI. It consists of, and I want the people on the line to listen. Central Intelligence Agency have over 16,500 employees. The National Security Agency have over 24 to 25,000 employees, and these billion dollars uh, estimate annual. Then you have the Defense Intelligence, which have 5,000 employees. Then you have the Army Intelligence, and that's what a lot of brothers understand that the Army got involved in uh, us because they looked at us as a military formation. So the Army Intelligence came in. You got the Afro, uh, excuse me, the Air Force Intelligence that comes in. You got the Navy Intelligence. You got the State Department Intelligence and Research. Then you got the Bureau of Investigation. Then you got the Treasury Department, and that's dealing with our taxes when they're mm-hmm. going to taxes. So you got all the agencies that is working towards the keeping the Black Liberation Movement dead. See, when we look at us uh, us as being just Negroes, they know from the beginning of they kidnapping us and bringing her, us to America, and that under that rebellion definitely led by our honorable uh, prophet Nat Turner, they understand that the rebellion that they had to bring in all these forces. So when brothers pick up arms, they got the army intelligence to take care of you, brother. Mm-hmm. You know, and sister. So we just look at the police department. Now the government have an intelligence agency to make sure that we as a people do not unite. Donald Trump yeah. Yeah. has said on setting the borders, on uh, deporting everybody, and uh, on shutting down everything. And so I'm saying that this government is letting us know. And this is when he giving the right to the police department to do what they're doing and giving a right to the right wing. We are in a war for the survival of ourselves, our children, most mentally, spiritually, and eventually physically, because that's how they're going to take us out. And they're moving towards uh, mentally and spiritually. They don't control our schools. We have no black schools no more. You know, our children Mm -hmm. go to their schools. They're being overseen by white folks. This is real. 
the economic mm-hmm. business within the community, the black man get in the business because he don't understand history. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened with a lot of us, and it's including with the Panthers, a lot of brothers and sisters. Before we go forward, we got to look backwards. Yeah. That's the African saying. Before I leave home, I got to look back for where I come from. So I know I got 10 miles to go to Chicago. Then I got to know that I got to come from Cleveland. I got to go 10 miles. If I get lost, then I turn around, I get back on the track, and I go back. We have not studied the history of what has happened with us. And you said it. We romanticize that we're going to have a revolution overnight. We talk about Malcolm, but do we know Malcolm? We talk about Garvey. Do we know Garvey? We talk about the Panthers. Do we know the Panthers? We talk about the Rebel Stamp Action Movement. Do we know it? Do we talk about SNICs? Do we know it? We have to study those mistakes that have been made and the progress that have been made. If we do not Mm -hmm. study those mistakes, we will end up with it again. And America is known for infiltration. And I like what my comrade said. If Donald Trump, a big white fascist, can complain by the FBI infiltrating and sending informers in his campaign and he accused Obama of being the one that led that and then we walk around the street, and our comrades are dead, and don't think that the FBI should be held accountable for what they have done to us. Mm-hmm. But to take this in right wing white boy, and I'll tell you, the white supremacist group gonna use that, and they're gonna move forward with it. <laughs> We're gonna sit back. Why? Because uh, I don't like what Yang is saying. I don't like what Mahar mm-hmm. saying. I don't like what Brother uh, Jomo saying. I don't like what Brother Akuna yeah. saying. Yeah. So yeah. we we gonna disagree with it. But here come a so-called president saying they infiltrated me and brought informers. That's but right. Nobody was murder. Nobody mm-hmm. was murder in his campaign. All he was saying well, that uh, you uh, you made a deal with the Russians. But yeah. We said, well, you know. Well, you know, you know that's that's what they call that. Like I said, it goes back again to that white entitlement, white privilege. I mean, we, you know, we because you're making some valid points, but we we really shouldn't be surprised. You know, they feel entitled. He doesn't feel like that should happen to him. How dare that happen? We're used to police intrusion. We're used to that. We've allowed ourselves to become become accustomed to being a people suppressed by the what I call the repressive wing, the, the, the repressive military wing of the state, which is the, the police. You know what I'm saying? We've allowed us, we, we become accustomed to that. One of the things, though, you touched on, which goes back to, is like when we talk about unity, we want to talk about um, I, I, us as African people have to see it tied to a matter of survival. We really think we have the luxury of not, listening to people because we personally 
don't agree with them, are not supporting um, anything that's about advancing or helping African people because we have some personal issues with it. It hasn't registered. It hasn't fully dawned on us now, especially in this age of consumerism, when we can get anything that we want, that this is tied to our survival. I think that's the biggest thing that I put out when I'm always talking about self-determination, self-sufficiency as a matter of survival. But it is it's difficult to explain to a people who are under the illusion, you have to understand this state is very crafty, who are under the illusion that they have the right to, to, to make their own, um, oh, I'm not even going to say the right to make because they do have the right to make their own decisions, but that there is nothing manipulating or even physically repressing them or oppressing them and stopping them from doing things that are beneficial for us as a collective. They have really pushed consumerism and individualism in the African community. So now what you have now is the black power movement has become a fad. It's the hip thing to be, you know, and it's in the movement, the revolutionary aspect of it. Those of us that uh, adhere to revolutionary ideology and philosophy have been either silent, pushed to the sides, and these people, these flamboyant, fragrant goofballs, you know, these people who don't know they butt from a hole in the ground have been pushed to the forefront because either they have some articulate speech, they are, you know, they got some nice pictures on Facebook, and they are becoming the face of revolutionary struggle for the African people in America. And that's detrimental, like you said, to us is that are real revolutionaries. One of the things to go back to talk about, I like what you were talking about, was the whole political prisoner, the prisoners of war, and just a social captive, social prisoners, prisoners due to social conditioning. Um, you know, really being aware of that. Us as an African people saying, stepping up and saying, hey, you know what? This has to change, elevating our struggle from that of a human, uh, that of a civil rights struggle to a human rights struggle, therefore shining some light, whole new perspective on our political captives. I think that we fumbled the ball in that area because we haven't really elevated the struggle enough for the world to, we want the world to begin to come look at it and say, no, what they had was a legitimate revolutionary struggle. That was a legitimate revolutionary struggle. And those are legitimate freedom fighters and, and political prisoners being held longer than necessary in, in some of the most um, uh, harsh harsh conditions that you can think of that human beings should be held in for no other reason that they are political dissidents, that their politics don't agree with the politics of said country. But we have to step up on that. Yeah, go ahead, Chairman. One is that you correct. And see, this is why, this is why, and I'm saying it, and I'm saying it for sincerity, for my heart, and for my life. That's why when the oppression came down, we went to Cuba. We went to Africa as Jews took us in. Cuba took us in. China took us in. Now, all these places I'm talking about is what Trump is now condemning. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These were the bases that we went Brother Robert Williams went to all of that. He even went to uh, North Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Man, all mm-hmm. these countries supported our movement. See, when we don't study, 
we think that we just in we call ourselves black masters, but we actually undercover civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. don't see the international movement of mm-hmm. of our movement. No, the Panthers, mm-hmm. man. We was in Algeria. We had an international office in Algeria. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we was in Angola, man, with the fighters right. in Angola. Man, uh, man, we was in China. We met with Mao Zedong before mm-hmm. we made this transition, man. We met with Ho Chi Minh, man. These mm-hmm. are facts. Anybody want to bait me, man, give me a bus ticket. I'll come down and you give me a they platform. Not gonna, they're not going to debate that fact. I think they know. You know, here's the thing with me, Abu. I don't think you won't find many that will debate that fact anymore. You know, I, you know what's happening now is I'm not even going to say they're studied, but they a lot of them are aware of what's going on. You can go on Facebook and, and in this information age, you just Google some stuff. All this information comes up. I think that they've stopped at, you know, one of the things that I love about when we studied the, the third development, whom a lot of people call the original Panther Party, was not just their, um, their studying, but their putting it into beginning to take theory and trying to make it into practical application. That's where we're having a problem because, I, you know, you got some people out there that can, man, will give you the history. I've talked to cats that just, you know, blow me away. I'm astonished. I'm like, damn, you know a lot. But when you talk about taking it from that into trying to get some uh, uh, practical theory, some, uh, some, a- some application behind it, some action to go with what they study, I think that that's where we fall short. We're not making the international connections no more. We're not clamoring about human rights violations no more. We're not, you know, teaching a, so I call it African communalism, but a economic, social, cultural, socialist concept of African people anymore. It's not really, I don't think, you know, I hear him espouse it, but to really see it in action, you don't see it anymore. And I right. think that that is, you know, I think that's what's happening is the debates have taken over, the so-called uh, intelligentsia from even the black power movement have taken over. We can get on to They got whole YouTube channels dedicated to people debating facts while our people still languish in the conditions that we're in. Yeah, yeah. So you don't get the revolutionaries getting out there, making it, saying, you know what, let's take these theories, let's see if we can put some facts to them, let's get the theory, let's see if they can be applicable to our situations and then come back to the drawing board and add to the theory. One of the greatnesses of, of Huey, the brilliance of Huey and the likes, not just you and the likes, was taking from the Red Book you know, and going out, implementing some things, coming back and say, okay, this and that. I think Huey in itself should be studied as a political, revolutionary political genius. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't just strictly. It was a lot of uh, uh, Marxist-Leninist leanings. It was a lot of, you know, some, some, some socialist leanings, this and that. But the infusion of black nationalism into the concepts is undeniable because he came from black people and it was practiced on black people and black people pr- – uh, participated and got those programs that we talk about so much up and running. Therefore, making it a black nationalist in its in its context and in its application to the black community, to the African community. This is what we don't see happening. We hear I hear people, you know, quoting Huey, quoting Malcolm, quoting H. Rap, quoting Fred, but that's as far as the shit goes. 
You know what I'm saying? Have you taken that and thrown it against the wall? Have you went out there and actually tried to apply that? Do you even understand what the hell you're quoting? See, that's what the debatants do. Everybody here get a little something. They read a little something in the book. They never tried to apply it in the streets. They don't know about it. They didn't took an excerpt from YouTube. Don't understand where that person got their thought. You know, they read George Jackson, but never read. Are they read Huey, but never read Communist Manifesto? They never. They don't know about the Bolshevik Revolution. They don't know. So they're reading stuff that people got it from. Some of you had to go away. They don't know about uh, what is the name? Amir, uh, uh, I forget. Oh, we're fought in. Uh, 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 well, I got Amaru um, um, gets his name from Tupamaru, uh, Uruguay. They fought in the Uruguay, South America, you know, South America revolutions. You don't find these people going back that far to do their study, to get out there and, and, and try to put it with the masses of African people. They just want to debate some shit. They just want to go back and forth. That's what they get off on. And I think that that's what we, as African people in America, that's what you find us suffering a lot of. This overnight YouTube success stuff then went to our brothers and sisters' heads, and it's destroying a practical movement, the practical aspect of the movement. What was your go ahead, brother chairman? Brother Marcus Messiah Garvey said uh, back then when uh, Garvey began to organize a special movement uh, during the sixties, and I remember when I was when I was a little boy, and um, coming up in the fifties. We had the radios, and we would sit back in the chairs, and we would sit around the big radios, and and uh, we would hear the stories in the movie. And when they broke the television in, and um, and uh, many of the comrades, revolutionaries said it's a good thing, but it's going to be a bad thing, and because we're not utilizing it right. And when that television came in, they was giving us their vision. And at one point, uh, the whole culture, uh, the whole culture started changing. Uh, one, uh, I I wanted to be a cowboy. I never wanted to be an Indian. You know, envision mm-hmm. uh, the people, man. I want me a cowboy gun. And then I never want to be an African. I, I always want to be Tarzan. Yeah, absolutely. Know? You know, so uh, so the propaganda is what they use. So we have to be very careful in using the propaganda. And so when we get on these programs, like this program right now, it's super monitor. But what we're doing is what I love it. <coughs> when you that the enemy is monitoring your program you still do what you do, and it's called education. You do not put out anything, and that's why these brothers on Facebook, they're showing all they got, all they arm and all this. Man, you're setting yourself up. No, if you got an opportunity to use your program, teach. Mm-hmm. Anything else, you take it to the community, and you and the community deal with it. But don't put yourself out in public, and that would happen when we organize our gun club. We organize this. We walk around and we did all this in because they didn't study history. Yeah. See, when you don't yeah. study history, you're gonna end up not knowing that number one, you said politics is everything, and they don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Politics 
the radio programs, the television program, everything we do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things the county television program does, when you have your rallies, man, they send the media in, and the media come to the camera and the speakers, and they say, uh, what's your program, your idea, and that you talk it. You think you're talking to the media, you're talking to the government. Yep, every time. Yeah, every time. Man. Like you said, now they don't have to do it. Now they got the the, the Facebook, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we'll do it We'll do it to ourselves, for ourselves, by ourselves. Yeah, you well, know? I'm going uh, to let other comrades talk, man. But that Facebook, man, is like uh, it's, uh, two things that when you get locked up, and uh, the first thing, they take your statement, and then they take your mud shot. So, mm-hmm. you, so you got your face and you got your statement. So, yep. uh, so we have to be, we have to become the most skilled. And I love it because under white supremacy, under this fascist government, and it is a fascist government. I, mm-hmm. Man, yeah, they made Bush, uh, Nixon, and all of them. Look like Boy Scout. What we have today, in terms of America, in terms of Zionism, in terms of fascism, in terms of white supremacy and white nationalism, is moving in to the point where to releasing the police, which is a which is a military uh, operation coming in, uh, uh, dealing with you with your tinted glasses uh, on your car. And they're dealing with everything. Uh, they're coming in and they're maintaining their force, but because of lack of organization and it's lack of Negro too. You got a black businessman that got a business up. Half the time he ain't gonna listen to you because he got a grant from Uncle Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know. You know <clears throat> yeah. But we have to so, be. You know. Go ahead. So I'm just saying that. Uh, uh, we are dealing with right now when we talk about revolutionaries our action our deeds and the way we relate to one another shows who we are and everybody that walks in the skin don't mean that they are with us and we have to understand that Mm -hmm. you know that black power is not a skin. Black power is economic, political, socialist, uh, and everything else. But mm-hmm. it's deal with a mindset and a mentality. And so what and has that, happened? Go ahead. Go ahead. So now, that, no, go ahead. So now what? We are living in a neo-colonial situation, like you saying that uh, the Negroes today in America, they don't see no community in terms of nation building. They see how I'm going to get paid, I'm going to be the overseers, and I'm going to speak for the master, and they're going to respect me because I'm the city councilman, a city councilwoman, uh, I'm the mayor, I'm this and that, so I'm going to represent the boss represent the master. Like mm-hmm. uh, on that well, they reward their Negroes. They reward their Negroes well. You know, oh. we you know they they reward their Negroes well. 
I think one of the things, too, you know, looking at, and you touched on it, and that's what we have to go back to when we talk about the roles and responsibilities of revolutionary. That's, that, and that's what we're talking about in our last 15 minutes. If you want to come in, press 1, we'll recognize you, we'll open your mic up, um, and, and we can rap about it. But we're talking about the roles and responsibilities uh, of the revolutionary. And one of the things, and we got someone to go straight to our phone lines. I see I'm coming to the phone lines. One of the things that we, you know, we we talk about um, is what I heard you say, Chairman Carr, is um, really endearing the hearts. Man, we have to go back to winning the hearts and minds of the people. We are not going to out-propagate, out-commercialize, out. You can't use their instruments to outdo them. It's going to take that real going back shaking hands, meeting people face-to-face, and winning the hearts and the minds of the African masses back to them wanting to be involved and participate in their own liberation and their own freedom. And you can't do that ridiculing, ostracizing, isolating, and belittling African people because they don't think like you. We are quick to turn on one another because we that people don't think like us. Now, we're clear action are taken against me to hinder me, now you have put yourself in the thing of the enemy. Like you were saying, Chairman Carr, all my skin folk are not my kin folk. I'm not that naive, you understand? But I do understand there are some of us who don't know, who haven't been informed. And when I turn on my Facebook or listen to some of these clowns talking, hell, I don't blame them for not wanting to participate in what they call that black shit or whatever. When you listen to some of these people that have been pushed in the front as being the promoters or the the spokesmen or spokeswomen for black nationalism or black liberation, it's frightening. Nobody wants to be a part of some of the crazy stuff that I've heard. But it's the true revolutionary must get back out in those trenches, get back in the fields, and begin to endure themselves to the masses of people. Let me go to my phone lines. And open up. Minister Justice, your mic is open. Black Power family, Black Power Brother Chairman. Black I'm Power. listening to the conversation. This is a really Black good Power. show. I'm not, uh, I'm, there's a lot of people. Black Power Brother Chairman Kahar. I'm listening Black to Power. what everybody says regarding, uh, regarding uh, what are responsibilities of, re- of a revolutionary. And we do have, you know, a 10 point platform, and we all across the board. And actually, we all supposed to adhere to it. And then it tells you, then we have the five duties of a panther, you know, so, so that people would know a panther when they see one, which would be a part of our community meeting. However, what I've begun to see is that people just done threw the 10-point platform out the window. They, they don't abide by it. And then the new people that come along, I don't even believe that they're telling them about it. Right now, you know, I'm just looking on uh, Facebook, and I think they believe it's enough to just put up Facebook posts. Uh, they're, they're the, they're the, they're the uh, general or the, or the president and, you know, all kind of other things. And I'm saying to myself, this looks to me like somebody that's trying to water down revolution so nobody will know who's who or what's what. And I think we need to start tackling that problem. You know, we really need to start dealing with that. We really need to start outing these individuals that are doing these things. And um, Brother Kahar, uh, when we had a quorum at your house at one point, uh, we were talking about some sort of a Congress. And um, there needs to be some accountability because there is none. You know, you have some people that's aligning themselves with the third development. 
you have some people that's aligning themselves with, um, you know, and, and then, you know, you look on there, you'll even see pictures of yourself at you actually doing the work, and they'll have those pictures on their pages. You know, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that these people are out of and it is also our responsibility to make sure that we keep the integrity of the party. Uh, how many people have a, a minister of law and justice because that's the job to make sure that the integrity of the party is kept intact? You know, that's all that um, I really wanted to say because I'm listening and I'm hearing a lot of really good stuff. However, the action to take on these types of situations is that you really have to out these individuals so that people know who they are on social media and know who they are in the public. So that it's not something that they, they don't, and, and Brother uh, Chairman was saying, get out here shaking hands and this and that. We, yeah, that is true because we've been in the trenches. We've been out here speaking to these people. And the bottom line is, you know who will come right behind you? The fake revolutionaries. Once you start getting it going, the next you, hit, next you know here come that fool with the rhetoric and the guns and all that madness. And people really are afraid of that, just like the uh, Chairman was saying. However, there needs to be a quorum. Something needs to happen to really out these types of individuals. And black power to everybody out there, family. You know, it's a whole lot of y'all on here. And um, I'm not hearing much, but I would like to rather believe that you guys are listening. And remember your 10-point platform and the duties of a panther. And those things are the things that are going to make you, you know, ask these people, uh, where where is your chapter? Because you putting things, they're putting things on social media, but they're not putting where their chapter is. They're not putting how they can get to. They're not putting no programs. None of those things. So I think it's wise that we put that out there. Black Power, and I love all you, fam. Black Power. That's what's up. Absolutely. You know, absolutely, and that's and that's what's happening. So we have to get out here. We have to um, do our due diligence, man. There's no easy way around this. Believe me, it's not. I think that those of us that are conscious revolutionary brothers and sisters have to begin to take the initiative to raise the bar, raise the banner, raise the standards of it. And like Sister Justice was saying, which I totally agree, begin to confront these people. Begin to confront these people who are doing contrary. Um, are doing are being counterproductive and counterrevolutionary. Like she said, you look on Facebook and Negroes got twenty million freaking Facebook pages. Like they out there shaking it like that and you can't find in a we have a city, you know, according to the Facebook page, we have a chapter in your city. You know, and, and, and I'm in one of the cities that um one of these particular individuals was claiming to have and I can't find not a one, you know. So it it gives off the um, wrong, not only the wrong impression, it just it is deceiving and misleading to the people. And like I said, and that's and deception is stuff, you know. And like the manual teaches that we don't steal a piece of needle or thread from the masses of people. Also, I love what she went into the ten point platform and program, you know, of the, of the Black Panther Party generally, universally, which has been understood. So for all of these so-called people calling them Panthers and you don't have the 10-point platform and program in your party and you're not pushing it, you're not exposed, you're not working to bring one of those things to fruition, how do you rightly feel, how do you even, I mean, you know, feel justified in yourself to to attach um, attach Panther to it? Let me say this, Daniel, please. Okay, I got a couple minutes. You got to be brief. Okay. Uh, one is uh, what uh, Sister Justice is saying. 
and that's the uh, County Intelligence Program number eight uh, statistical organization. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to deal with this one to say they created a type of fictional organization uh, which the uh, FBI set up all the former. But this one is that we have to understand. Non-former members, the third type was totally statistical organization with no actual members which were used to deal with mailing letters and pamphlets to recruit people, but really do not have no actual members. And that's what we see going. There it is. There it is, right from the chairman's lips. And you see that going. So like Justice was saying, um, you know, listeners, you want to be mindful. Do the investigation. Do the work. Do the homework. You know, feel free to reach out to us, people, Black Panther Party, at, oh, man, I don't have my information on us, but feel free to reach out to us. You can hit us on our Facebook page. For those that are on the Internet, People's Black Panther Party, um, check out the page. You can hit me personally on the page, and I can shoot the information to you and um, get all that to you. But we definitely want you to check it out and be able to do the research on some of these people out here professing to uh, continue in that revolutionary line along those revolutionary premises that are not, that are just trying to egg you on, egg you on for their own egos or whatever sick, perverted, twisted type of um, – you know, what what motivates them, I, I, the word escapes me. But listen, I want to thank everyone for spending their Tuesday with me. Um, nice listeners, I appreciate that. Join us next Tuesday, same time. We'll be doing the same thing, political education. I'm your brother and your host, National Chairman Yang and Kuma, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. Check us out next week, All Powers. And with that, I leave you as I greet you, which is All Powers to Oppress People, African Power to an African People, and Black Power. Right now. One time. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, all I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page. Only if I had one gun, one girl, and one crib, one God to show me how to do things his son did pure. Like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip. Writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gon' body, this hood politics, acknowledge it. Leave bodies chopped up in garbages, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one knee I duck, could it be my time is up, with my love I got up, the cops shot again, bust stop glass burst, a fiend drops a Heineken, ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in, blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit, this is my hood, I'm a rat To the death of it, to everybody, come on Little niggas, it's grown, hood rats Don't abortion your wound, we need more warriors soon Sent from the stars, sun and the moon And it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers Sick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors If you really think you're ready to die, we're nines out This is what nines is about, niggas, the time is now I need this one
blunt one page and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots from twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six winners to you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never get shot up. Bullets tear through the innocent. Nothing is spared. Niggas roll up. Shooting from wheelchairs. My heart is racing. Tasting revenge in the air. I let this shit slide for too many years. Too many times now I'm strapped with a couple of max. Too many nines. If y'all niggas really with me, get busy. Load up the semis. Do more than just hold it. Explode the clip until you empty. There's nothing in our way. They bust, we bust. They rust, we bust. Let's fly and feel it. I feel it in my gut that we take these bitches to war. Lie them down cause we stronger now. My nigga, the time is now. My nigga, it's one mic. All I need is one mic. There's nothing else in the world. All I need is one mic. That's all I need, need to do is thing, no. All I need is one mic. All I need is one life, one try, one breath on one man. What I stand for, speak for itself. They don't understand and want to see me on top. Too egotistical, talking all that slick shit the same way these bitches do. Wonder what my secret is. Niggas to move on you only if they know what your weaknesses. I have none. Too late to grab guns. I'm blasting because I'm a fool, nigga. Thought I wouldn't have that ass done. Who's you niggas? What you call an infinite brawl? Eternal souls clashing. World gets deep. Some beef is everlasting. Complete with dick stars. Brothers knifing each other up in prison yards. Drama, where does it start? You know the block.